0: Hi, this is Midwest Duration and I'm Freya Bernson. This week, I met with Natalie Haley, Park and Education Manager at Fox Island County Park in Allen County, Indiana. This 605-acre site is actually just across the train tracks from Eagle Marsh, the site from episode two of this podcast. So there are some similar background sounds from the railroad as well as the local airport. With that, let's get to my interview with Natalie. This starts out in the pollinator garden, right in front of Fox Island's Nature Center. Okay. All right. So, I am standing at Fox Island, um, which is a county park in Allen County, Indiana. Uh, Standing here with Natalie Haley. And I would... Just like to start out by asking Natalie if she would kind of introduce herself, tell tell us about um, who she is, why she's here, and um, what what her connection to this site is. Um, Well I'm the Park and Education Manager
1: for Allen County Parks, specifically Fox Island, and I've been working here since about 2006, um, previously as a part-time naturalist and then as an environmental educator full-timer. And so I started in the park and education management position, uh, I want to say, just a couple years ago uh, when Ron Zartman retired. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he'd been working here for, gosh, 30-plus years, you know, as the park naturalist, chief naturalist, superintendent, you know. (laughs) He'd done all of it. Um, And so I kind of did the same thing. I just, you know, started part-time, and and, uh, he hired me, uh, him and Bob Dispenza. Mm -hmm. Bob Dispenza is the park manager now at Matea County Park. So we have four county parks in the county park system right now. We do have, as well, Deer Run Wilderness Area, mm. and we also have, which you can't have public access to unless they, you know, they work something out. And we have a new site um, that they're looking at. Um, it's more southeast Allen County. So it's not, not not firmed up, completed yet, but that's what we're looking at.
0: Oh, awesome. So,
1: um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I get connected to this park when we moved back here from Wisconsin. I worked for an old Audubon camp up there for about five years, uh, doing some part-time educational work while I was raising my kids. And then my husband, who works for the Natural Resource Conservation Service, Mm. was transferred back to Indiana, this time in Fort Wayne, um, because I actually graduated from Purdue University. We met at Purdue University back in the early 90s, and then we married in 94. So, you know, I've done some seasonal work for the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. I've worked for Purdue University while I was a student there. Um, You know, I I had a, uh, up in Wisconsin, I had a program called Nature Niche. And it was like a radio show. And um, then I kind of turned it into, uh, they had a family resource center there. And they weren't offering necessarily outdoor educational things. And I thought it'd be a great way to get them in touch with, what's all around them up there um, so because this area was in very north northern part of Wisconsin and it hadn't even been mapped by the the Natural Resources Conservation Service so that's why he was up there and I followed him. (laughs) But here at Fox Island uh, it's been a park uh, open to the public as a park since uh, the mid-70s Um, so we've been here, oh, you know, how many years is that now, 45, something like that, (laughs) 45, 46 years. And, um, you know, when I graduated Purdue, I I hadn't even heard of the county park systems. You know, I knew the state parks, I knew the national parks, you know, I knew the local parks, city parks, but hadn't even heard of county park systems. So when we moved back to here, um, you know, I just kind of started looking around, like, where I could possibly work. I actually was thinking, because I'm from Auburn... I was actually thinking Polk Hagen State Park would probably be the closest Mm. place. But then uh, my husband got a job here in Fort Wayne. And so I started to get a little familiar with Fort Wayne and looked around. And they had a Fox Island County Park sign out there on 24. And I said, I'm going to check that out. You know, (laughs) so that's how it all started. And uh, now as the park manager, I'm learning a little bit different things than education. I mean, the main, I would say the main part of my job is education. Um but I'm learning um, different things about resource management and park management, um, like how to actually make it all work in in a in a with the park board and with the you know your friends' boards and, and volunteers and things like that. Um, I mean my background is in wildlife management, so I do know something about managing uh, the wilderness for wildlife
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I know a little bit about restoration work um but I really have just been learning over the years, you know, like, you know, what chemical do we want to use? Do we not want to use that chemical, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) How do we actually really get rid of, you know, invasive plants, um, you know, and what native plants will work where, you know? And so we are really good at asking local experts. uh, So finding, you know, Heartland Restoration has been a wonderful um, resource for us um, because they're local. So, I know the seeds I'm getting from their local genotype, which is very important because um, we did have a prairie restoration kind of prairie wetland restoration over at Matea, and they ordered their seed source from Wisconsin hmm. and they ended up getting some Chinese lespidiza in the mix, oh wow, which is not good, yeah <laughs> <So> <laughs> they've been battling that since I've been working here um and so you know those kinds of things you kind of learn as you go um. But, yeah, I've had a lot of um, help from, you know, different people at different, uh, you know, like resource centers or, you know, things like that. I used to call up Fred Woolley when he worked for Pokagon mm-hmm. and ask him, what are you guys doing there? And, you know, what do you think about this? You know, so you kind of create your own community and reach out. And I've gotten to know Betsy uh, and Mariah over at Little River Wetlands Project. and. What they're doing over there we're trying to duplicate over here as much as we possibly can you know financially it becomes a challenge yes. <laughs> so that's the other aspect of it i actually started grant writing this year um which is new to me um, so uh, we're writing a grant now for the american association of university women and that is actually going to fund some trail map signage in the park because people are getting lost and so we redid okay. all the intersections redid the trail map um and now we're going to be posting real maps out on in the inter- the main intersections in the park. So that part is more management,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and then, um, you know, as far as education, you know, if I'm managing an area and showing people how to landscape for using native plants for pollinators or, you know, whatnot, could be for birds or, you know, anything. Uh, but in this case here in the butterfly garden, it was obviously for butterflies and other pollinators, um, you know you kind of have to show people it's, it's not your normal landscaping look mm-hmm. you know um the great thing about it is once i put them in the ground once they're established you just let them go you know and you just kind of manage the things you don't want and keep it out there's no you know like you have to plant and water and plant and water you know like you do with your annuals and things you get you know at nurseries and so and the the uh, wildlife prefers you know, their natural food sources um, sometimes they don't recognize the things that we put in our, you know, in our landscaping uh, that we could get at a nursery and sometimes the things you get in a nursery are not exactly good for wildlife, mm-hmm. you know, um, so just kind of learning how and what's going to invade and what's good and what's bad, you know, those are all good things uh, to pick up on and so we're going to be using this butterfly garden to educate the public on these sorts of things. And also how important pollinators are, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, So, and you know, the the, the latest and greatest pollinator, which, you know, everybody's talking about the last couple of years, of course, is, you know, the honeybees. Mm -hmm. And that means they're native honeybees too. You know, we do have native bees and then we have the honeybees that that are Mm -hmm. non-native. But there is a problem either way because a lot of our agricultural uh, produce is pollinated. Yeah. Um, So if we don't have pollinators, we're not going to have that produce uh available to us right so we get into talks with people about you know spraying for you know herbicide spraying f- spraying for insect you know things like that you know and how damaging that could be um and so it, you know it, it gets to be it just expands mm-hmm. you know um and we talk to school groups when they're learning the life cycle of a butterfly you know th- they would definitely come here and learn how the butterfly is using these plants you know um and we have different plants in here, quite a variety, a diverse array of, you know, I would say prairie uh, forbs and and milkweeds and, and grasses as well to kind of fill in. But we also have, you know, um, just some plants that maybe just caterpillars use, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, we have sassafras trees and we have, you know, of course, all in the woods all around Fox Island, we have the spice bush and that, mm-hmm. of course, the spice bush swallowtail. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <so> <laughs> So they're learning about this interaction between you know as they're learning the life cycles they're also learning how these insects are relying on their habitat and what's in their resources in that habitat and so it's kind of studying you know um, all the different aspects and all the different life cycles and what parts are they using when you know mm-hmm. um, and so you know I, I really enjoy um, you know the educational aspect of it um, but also the challenge of you know, putting in a a butterfly garden of this size Um, and you deal with different management challenges, you know, like um, you have to educate your own staff, you know, you have to educate your maintenance staff, you have to educate your, sometimes your administrative staff because they're not, you know, they don't understand um, necessarily everything that's going on out in the, you know, ecosystem. So and then you have to get them on board with why why do we need to cut down this tree here because it's shading out, you know, our mm-hmm. garden or <laughs> things like that. Um so this garden was established uh by my predecessor Ron Zartman and I believe the the Alliance, the Fox Island Alliance, um and, and using a Nipsco grant. Nice. Um and that's another grant I will be applying for this year. So um but you know we also have our friends board here the foxline alliance and they are very good to us um you know they're constantly thinking of new different ways to make our jobs easier you know um whether that be putting in the garden or helping with school groups or come coming up with some money to pay for some equipment that we need you know to treat invasives or you know things like that um, and most recently they they purchased a new audio visual um equipment So that when we're doing our Indiana Master Naturalist program for adults we actually have the proper equipment to teach the class effectively so because we have the challenge out here at Fox Island of not having necessarily the best internet reception Mm -hmm. (laughs) so sometimes we have classes online especially right now you know um and then we take them out on various hikes and things like that so they actually get the hands-on field experience as well we don't want to just teach on a screen i don't think that's really connects people, gives them the information, but I don't know that they remember it all because you're not incorporating the senses, you're not, you know, mm-hmm. they're not touching anything tangible, and so we, we definitely have to include the field experience to try to get that um, and have them remember what we're trying to teach them Absolutely. that much better. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, so that's our pollinating gardens. We have two other ones in the park. They're smaller than this one. Um, One was just kind of a really big mess of goldenrod and old apple trees and grapevines and stuff, and so we we completely gutted it out. And at Fox Island, the soils are pretty young, meaning that there's not a lot of organic matter on Mm. top of the sand. Yeah, (laughs) so we had to bring in some organic matter and, you know, Once we cleaned out most of the vines and the apple roots and (laughs) apple tree roots and goldenrod. And then we planted a different set of, you know, pollinator wildlife plants there. Um, They get more sun exposure, so there was more opportunity to have more milkweed, uh, you know, as an example. Um, But we do, um, you know, we consult all the time professionals in the field, and they provided the plants. The Alliance paid for all the plants. Um, and so, you know, our take is, you know, we prepare the ground. We we sit down and coordinate it all. And then once we get it in the ground, we maintain it and then we use it for education. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a big purpose and, and, and mission here at Fox Island is more educational oriented, whereas some other places are more conservation preservation. They're not as concerned about educating the public or mm-hmm. they are, but they don't focus as much of their you know
0: time and effort on it yeah um so
2: yeah (laughs)
0: awesome (laughs) no I I really appreciate your perspective from this because it's it is like there there are so many different roles in conservation and restoration because like I mean you you have the the hands-on work but then you have to also you know like like everything you just said communicate with the public and educate and and you know express why why you're doing what you're doing and stuff and why it's important so that's awesome Mm -hmm. and uh that is something i really appreciate about about the allen county parks is just how much education you guys do and it's it's awesome so that's that's great Uh, we definitely
1: have a nice passionate crew for that so you know doing education is definitely incorporated into any project we have going on out here Um, so we definitely are interested in
0: getting the public to connect with whatever we're doing.
2: hmm So.
0: Cool. So, so we are standing at Fox Island. Um, and what, like, why, why would you say this site was worth preserving oh. back Back when they started, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. so what makes this place special?
1: Well, you know, in its origination, um, there were some that didn't understand the potential. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually called a snake pit. <laughs> um, I believe the first paid naturalist called it Mount Trashmore wow. uh, because it was often you know, often people would dump their mm-hmm. whatever you know, refrigerators and fencing and you know, you can you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a a really big volunteer crew, friends board, that hired him, the, you know, the original Fox Island Alliance, I think was called something, uh, there was a league, oh, I can't believe I can't remember. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) um, the point is is that he had a crew that kind of helped him, you Mm -hmm. know, and they were volunteering, and they were very in intent, in fact, they actually were doing education before they, they um, fundraised and found the funds and found people to pay for a position. Um, That's how involved they were. Um, So people like Bob Weber, you know, um, he was a, I believe, a high school biology teacher Mm. uh, here in Allen County, and they actually had him out here teaching different groups before there was anything out here established, before there were restrooms, before there were, (laughs) you know. Um, And so, you know, he wasn't paid, but he was definitely part of the, you know, the friends board and and part of developing the curriculum and, and somebody that they would have probably talked to when they're consulting purchasing the property even, you know, when the County parks Board was purchasing purchasing different, um, different areas of the property, because it wasn't all one big purchase, 605 Mm -hmm. acres. There were different plots, you know, that were added. In fact, the last one that we're going to go out and talk about later today was the old gun club. Mm. Um, So, um, you know, there's another challenging site for me right now that's at the front of the park that's called the Oak Savannah But basically it was a farm field Mm. and it was probably over farmed Mm -hmm. (laughs) for what little organic matter that we find out there, um, even at this point, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. here we are 45 years later and there's so little organic matter on there that it's very difficult to do like prescribed burning or, you know, Mm -hmm. just to get enough plants in there to
0: create enough fuel is a challenge. So, um, I'm sorry, what was, you? <laughs> no, that's all right, <laughs> just, uh, I, yeah, like, why, why this site, why,
1: oh, okay, why yeah, preserve it? Um, well, I mean, I could go on and on, but, mm-hmm. I mean, the Indiana State Nature Preserves made, uh, Fox, they valued Fox Island, um, uh, mainly because the whole back half of the park, um, is... Uh, what we would call a sand dune, Mm
2: -hmm. okay?
1: And that's a little different because we're not up by the Great Lakes of Michigan or -hmm. anything like that. So if you're familiar with those sand dunes, um, this sand dune is sand, but it's riverbed sand. And so what makes it unique is the geology of the area and how this dune was formed. And it is now a stabilized dune. It's not going anywhere. There's been trees and plants growing on it, um, that are holding it in place. And so it's not like a shifting sands, like you might find around Mm -hmm. the Great Lakes with all the wind and the, you know, the open exposure. It's an old riverbed dune, you know, and it's very old. Um, it's, you know, it's post-glacial times old, um, so, um. In fact, when they, when they decided to become a park, you know, before you can actually get permission to make anything a park, mm-hmm. you have to have certain um, archaeological digs done and things like that, and they have to study it and make sure there's nothing of, you know, really key archaeological evidence or mm-hmm. anything here, and um, they did not find, you know, um, huge things that would have prevented a park from being, you know, established here, but they did find evidence of archaeological history. Um, like pottery shards and um, more recently Indian pipe, Um, you know, they had some, you know, campfire um, cracked rocks and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, Of course, arrowheads, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um, and there were some, I think some other finds I'm not familiar with that were given to Ball State University for educational purposes, but none of the finds were so, um, you know, So that, you know, you didn't have a site here like the mounds or something where you had to, like, keep people away from it.
2: Mm -hmm. um,
1: Or they would destroy it. Yeah. Um, The dune is special, though, because, like I said, it's in a river, uh, an old riverbed. Mm -hmm. And this is a glacial river that no longer exists anymore except for in the form of, like, the Little Wabash River, you know. Or, you know, where it goes up and connects to Fort Wayne you know, with the other three rivers of Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but the Little Wabash River Valley, which is the glacial river valley um, that is post-glacial times, is actually two and a half miles wide, which is substantially wider than the existing Wabash Valley. Yeah. So we talk about it as the Little Wabash, you know, but it's, you know, the valley itself is, is, is quite extraordinary. And so, you know, of course, since those times, you know, river directions have changed and, you know, like the Maumee River captured the St. Mary's and the St. Joe Rivers, and they used to, the St. Mary's and St. Joe actually used to flow this way, Um, but we're so, you know, we have this little divide here, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's pretty, pretty level (laughs) in Fort Wayne. And so um, when that stream capture happened, I mean, it's, you know, quite a bit of water that didn't come down this way anymore. Mm And then since those times too, you know, they've, they've done a lot of, you know, ditching and things like that for agricultural pur- purposes. And so what we have here at Fox Island is you have the dune in the back of the park and it's a mile long dune, it's pretty considerable. Um, and then, um, on the other side of the railroad tracks behind Fox Island, we have Eagle Marsh or Little River Wetlands Project. Mm-hmm. And on the back side of Fox Island, you have what's called like a swamp forest. And then as it gets beyond the railroad tracks, you kind of open up into the marsh, mm-hmm. you know, that we're familiar with the Eagle Marsh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and those are all old river uh, ways of the giant little Wabash River oh. <laughs> that used <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot of geologic history. Um, and so the dune was, was the main reason though that mm-hmm. it became established as a, a state nature preserve. But then we needed to allow certain areas that could be managed for the public, mm-hmm. um, in order to actually bring in the public and educate them. And I mean, that was the you know main purposes of getting people out here is to get them connect, give them a place lo- you know close to home, um, give them enough access, but you know not not enough to where they would destroy it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there was a lot of things already destroyed when they first started, so they had to do a lot of restoration work. I know. Pat Bowman, I talked to his wife because Pat has passed on years mm-hmm. ago, and I had an interview with his wife, and she mentioned that um, he was one where he would only have one or two trails open to the public, mm-hmm. and he would move the trails around periodically. So he would shut down a trail, and and then he would open a new trail. Okay. And so his his idea at the time was, you know, trying not to leave so much damage done by the visitation, mm-hmm. you know, in the park. Mm-hmm. So. And he had some challenges. I mean people had been coming out here for years before it became a county park system and mm. all of a sudden they had to pay you know <laughs> to come in and and they had to be out you know by certain hours and and they were used to running their motorcycles and their horses and their cars even down you know
0: yeah,
1: the trails yeah. because before it was a park it was also used as a training ground huh. for the military and so I'm told that they have you know tank trap trap sites, um, but I've been told by other people, it may not have been tanks, it may have been some sort of other military equipment that uh-huh. they were using out here, um, but, you know, I mean, there's some pretty wide trails out here, so you can, you know, like we we have some challenges here with our tractors and things like that to maintain the trails, you know, mm-hmm. but trees have grown up since then, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before it was a park, I used to have a Christmas tree farm at the front of the park, not back by the dune, and strawberry fields and you know Mm -hmm. all kinds of different agricultural uses and and um, it used to be rented uh, by tenant farmers back in 1895 the Yaney family. So if you're familiar with the road that goes outside of Fox Island it's actually called Yawney Road Mm -hmm. but the Yaney family is um, the original 1895 tenant family. Okay. (laughs) Y-A-H-N-E. And so somewhere along the line and I haven't, haven't discovered how or you know and how to change it back or how would we go about that? Uh, I would love to change the name of the road back (laughs) to the original Yaney family. Um, But yeah, they were the ones that termed uh, supposedly Fox Island. Uh, There's the Fox Den actually just right up over at the front of the park. It's a small dune swale. Mm -hmm. And uh, as farmers, they were always moving the glacial boulders and kind of cowling them up there and that kind of thing. and, And he noticed, uh, Frederick Yaney noticed that there was a fox den in there one year, and so he called that little dune swale fox island. And so it just kind of stuck, you know, yeah. and uh, it's just kind of come down through the years. In fact, we've even had some of the Yaney family visit, uh, the nature center, and they were, you know, just kind of going down the hallway to the restrooms, and they noticed that we had had a history of fox island on the wall, and they're like, that's my family. <laughs> And so I was talking to them, and they, they let me know it was Yani and not Yoni, <laughs> things like that, you know. Um, So you learn all kinds of things by, you know, talking to the people that used to live here or their relatives or ancestors, you know. So.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, and that, that kind of leads into, uh, like, the whole, like, this isn't how the whole park has looked the whole time since it's since its inception essentially it's uh, it's it's been um, just just like much of the area around us a, a series of changes over time and um, because standing here we are you know in front of the Nature Center and surrounded by fairly large established woodland um, with and then right around us is the as the butterfly garden but um, yeah just knowing that the history and that uh, this land has has undergone like some some significant changes over time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am. it's pretty significant. I like to take people back to the black oak tree on the main trail because it's the oldest tree that I know of in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about 200 years old or thereabouts and black oak is the main dominant tree species here at Fox Mm -hmm. Island which is, you know, a riverbed type oak, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, <laughs> that's why we have so much of it here. It's not the kind you want to burn in your fireplace or build with because it smells like skunk <laughs> uh, when you do so, but um, it's a great, you know, wetland uh, oak tree to have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then we get up on the dune and you find a whole different species, you know, a whole bunch of different species of oaks that would not grow down below the dune, but they grow up on the dune. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of diversity in plant life here. There's a lot of diversity uh thereby the animals that would use that diverse plant life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know, they get to learn about all these different, you know, animals if they want or if they just want to come out here for peace, get them mm-hmm. quiet a little bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> listen
1: to the birds, listen to, you know, the trees or whatnot, you know, they can do that here and not have to go clear to a state park or mm-hmm. even further, you know, to kind of gain that peace and this year we've had a lot of people Mm -hmm. utilizing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so yeah it's been a good year to to get into a kind of a hiking challenge and I've extended it for myself I've got a 52 uh, birding hike challenge for me for this year so once a week you know go out and do some bird hiking and looking for birds and that sort of thing Um, but that's for my mental health Uh and (laughs) I think for people you know you know, I'm all the time educating, educating, educating. I love to talk to people about anything to do with with the environment. But I also like to tie it back to them because everything here ties back to people. We're Mm -hmm. tied to to it and it ties back to us. And we affect it and it affects us, you know. So we have to learn how that works
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and how to, you know, balance it the best way that we possibly can and, um, you know. And if you're not taught it, if you're not environmentally literate, then you can't make really accurate decisions,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: on how things should be treated in the environment. And you may not even know how you are affecting your own environment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's very important. Um, and so I'm glad that, the, you know, the standards now are asking for, you know, the science standards are asking for environmental literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm part of a Environmental Education Association of Indiana group. Um, and we've written out an environmental literacy plan for teachers so -hmm. that they can this is what you have to do at each grade level to basically give your students a very good solid general understanding of environment and and be literate
0: enough to speak or know what you're talking about
2: nice
0: so that's that's excellent um just getting again yeah the the education component is is often understated but like cannot be overstated.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, it's got to be, you got to incorporate people. People mm-hmm. have to be incorporated in it or they c- they're not going to understand their connection to it. Why is it relative to them, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it has to be relative to people. People have to feel it's relative to them before they're, you know, really feel like they're going to get anything from it, you know, mm-hmm. and people are so tapped out, they really need to get something from whatever they're investing in. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, for some people, it's just having the 605 acres where you can go on the trails and not be inundated with other people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and just the peace and, and, you know, positive electrolytes or whatever that you're getting, you uh-huh. know, from being being out in nature. And, and, um, and you know, I, I think people are losing that connection, too. Um, I, I've run into college students that are afraid of butterflies. Mm-hmm. I've run into, you know middle school, high school kids that really think that there's alligators and bears out here.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I have to tell them, this is Indiana, number one. (laughs) (laughs) you know, we haven't had black bear here, except for the occasional one that wanders Mm -hmm. through the state, you know, since probably that 200-year-old black oak tree was, you know, a sapling. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, um, or fortunately, depending on your fear of bears. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I grew up out west, so I was You know, I was, I just grew up knowing that the bears were there and this is how you act. This is what you don't do. You know, you don't leave your trash out, you Mm -hmm. don't, you don't, you don't feed the wildlife outside because you'll get, you know, pretty potentially hazardous to people wildlife Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming into your backyard. And, and in Indiana, we're pretty safe Mm -hmm. as far as that goes along, but just to have that, you know, that knowledge and that connection is so important for me. I mean, it's been so restorative in my life that i can't imagine not having it you know and so i just kind of want that for people you know
0: just to quickly interject at this point we opted to hike out to a restored grassland section of the park and our conversation picks up on the trail
2: okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) but the uh, eagle scouts have been involved at fox island um i want to say the two most recent projects that they've done we're with Ron Zartman,
2: hmm.
1: and they put in a nice program kiosk at the main trail, and we're getting another one put in by that Eagle Scout's younger brother down by the lake uh, parking lot. And so we're trying to organize like where we post things. Um, it seemed like we had posts in some areas that maybe weren't needed, hmm. you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So and they got had gotten old, so we're you know we were rethinking it. And then um, the biggest one that we've had out here was um, this one gentleman just did the Trouble Waters Trail and basically raised up the trail and made like almost like a causeway (laughs) out there by the marsh um, because that trail every year would be flooded for like half the year. Hmm. And so it allows accessibility to the swamp forest and out overlooking the marsh uh, for people. It was quite the project. Um, they brought in a lot of, uh, you know, rock and culvert and all kind of material, and um, the whole troop came in and worked on it. And um, so that that is kind of like a star eagle scout project. Yeah. We've had some where you know we're going to build some benches and we're going to build some picnic tables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of it depends too on their resources that they're you know able to access you know, who do their parents or people in their troop know, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, do they have people that are construction people, or, (laughs) you know, know, so, because part of their project is to fund, raise the funds for their projects, too, but they like the entities that they're helping to, you know, kind of guide them, Mm -hmm. you know, give them possibilities to look for money here or there, you know, Mm -hmm. so... I know Lowe's is the one that donated all the money, um, material for the, the program Kia. So, we do have various companies that are supportive of these kinds of, you know, projects or scout projects or, um, but yeah, NipSCO has given grants here to Fox Island before, uh, AEP has been out to do some really nice, um, renovations of our marsh overlook. Uh, years ago and we're gonna need it again (laughs) so uh, one of the bigger projects that I need to fundraise for is the uh, floating pier that goes out to that overlook oh okay so it's at a point where we've actually blocked off the trail we don't want people on it Uh, so the uh, last estimate I got though was around $38,000 just for the pier wow so hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, we'll see but you know, if I can get enough funds for, um, our friends board to be comfortable enough to match, then, you know, mm-hmm. there you go. So, and they did pay for this restoration area that we're almost to right out here. Um, it's about five to six acres, I was supposed to, I think they paid for five But the people that did the work. Again, Heartland, uh-huh. they, uh, kind of chipped in to go a little deeper back. <laughs> And overall, I think they got actually six acres out of the deal. Yeah. So. And they eliminated the competitors. You know, like we had a ton of goldenrod, and goldenrod is a native, but it tends to kind of take over Mm. if you don't manage it. (laughs) And so. We had them, kind of come in and take out some of it, and it doesn't burn very well either. Yeah. Trying to burn. So you could see if people could see the site that we're walking to right now, they could see this is the edge of it. So you have all this really kinda young um box elder trees, mm-hmm. dogwood trees, invasive honeysuckle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not really great for <laughs> and um that's because it's young, number one. Mm-hmm. And box elders are here to just maybe live thirty years and then they just fall apart and mm-hmm. create organic matter.
0: So this is basically what what Mm -hmm. the site we're walking to looks like prior to the work that was done? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um,
1: Well, I mean, before the work was done in 97, we redid the
2: work in the last few years.
1: Uh, Because I think when they had NIPS go pay for it, the Alliance had it all done. They didn't know how to manage it afterwards. Uh, And so we had a lot of the dogwoods would come in all over the back. Mm-hmm. We had goldenrod overtaking it. Um, there wasn't a lot of grassy forbs and things like that. We did along the the road. We were getting some really good like prairie dock, which is a wonderful sylphium prairie dock plant. But now it's expanded considerably, mm-hmm. um, and a lot. We've created the diversity. We've added all kinds of not only the grasses that you really want in here, but the forbs. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's been pretty intense, you know, Heartland did a lot of work. Um, they came down here and basically took out any woody shrub that they Mm -hmm. could, you know, could, Mm -hmm. and they treated stumps, and then they came, and then they seeded grass and they they drilled it in, you know, so they, they treated for any sort of stumps to get them out of the way, and then they, they seeded it, they drill seeded it, and then they came back this spring, and they retreated any sprouts that had come up from the shrubs. Mm -hmm. And then they planted the fords,
2: okay?
1: So that whole process was recommended to us by Heartland, you know. And Mm -hmm. they'll be back again. Um, I think they have probably been back and just haven't let us know, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's no problem or whatever. But they'll come back again and and keep looking at it. Um, Even though it's a small site, Heartland really likes to do this kind of work Mm -hmm. for people. And, um, you know, they took a lot of... um, extra time with us that they didn't have to for such a small area
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to explain what they were doing, to keep us up, you know, uh, on, on everything that had been doing out here. Um, we are not burning it. We could have burned it this year very easily with all this fuel, but mm-hmm. we were trying to create enough seed too gotcha. from the new plants. Uh-huh. So once they've kind of got it, you know, at least three years under their belt, mm-hmm. then we, we would come in and maybe do some, you know, burn management to keep all the woody, Mm -hmm. shrubs from coming back in so um, but yeah the in this gun club this has some history to the park too obviously it was the last purchase to the park it was also the last place that they saw massasauga rattlesnakes in the park which was 98 Uh which was you know if you noticed when the nipsco um, first did it in 97. so Mm -hmm. the people that were involved in that some of them are actually local professors and you know friends board members but uh, one in particular comes to mind is Chris Barlow, and she's an associate professor, I believe, at, um, I think it's Ivy Tech, okay. she teaches environmental sciences and things like that, environmental studies. And there's a refrigerator about in the middle of this gun club, and we've left it because that was the hibernaculum oh, wow. of the mess. <laughs> and there's also some clay, you know, shelters or whatever for when they were doing the gun clubs, so we talked about the history of it, you know. Mm-hmm. and. I even had a, a couple people talk about the guy that used to run the gun club. I mean, he was quite the character, mm-hmm. you know. Um, before it was a park, you know, you could actually kill as many rattlesnakes as you wanted out here, and he did. Uh. And he had a big bull whip, and he would kill them with the whip, and then he would tack their rattle up on the side of this building that used to stand over here. Mm. And so these are some of the stories I get. I yeah. I, I don't know if they're true, but... <laughs> always sounds pretty interesting, it's (laughs) sad, for the local rattlesnakes, you know. And, you know, a lot of people are afraid of a rattlesnake, and I grew up out west very understandably afraid of, you know, timber rattlers Mm -hmm. and some, some of the really, you know, bigger ones, more aggressive ones. Um, but massasaugas are really docile. They are not aggressive. About the only time you get bit by one is if you step on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's why I always teach kids, you know, when you're jumping off the of logs or whatever, you're up by, you know, Pigeon River's a good place for Massasaugas. They like to be, it's a wetland rattlesnake. Yeah. So, you know, this used to be a lot more wet here, too, at Fox Island. Um, and then they started dyna- dynamiting in the quarry across the road, and they don't like that. They don't like the woods that have come in. It's not mm-hmm. so much open wetland. And they don't like the dynamiting uh, because it causes a lot of vibration in the ground. Yeah. And rattlesnakes and all reptiles are very sensitive to vibrations in the ground. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you have some in the back part of Eagle Marsh or over, you know, the, the wetland side of Serval, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And they are an endangered threatened one of those um, snake. So, um, you know, if we were to find them. There's certain grants you could get to help out the park by having them here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they do have their purpose, like everything that, that's
0: out here. It's just people have a fear of it, so you have to address the fear. Yeah, yeah. And the more, <laughs> yeah, the more yeah. you do and yeah. and share that information, I guess the more or less the less people will fear. The more they know, right? Yeah, um, and I think now yeah. you know people aren't so worried about it because, like, they, like I said, they haven't seen one here since mm-hmm. '98.
1: Um, but that's not necessarily a good thing, Right. you know, yeah. um, so, you know, I think if they were to find them at certain places, they would be quiet about it, but they would be writing grants <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes,
1: <laughs> to get some money to help them out, you know, and, and I'm sure the Herb Center at pretty P- P- Fort Wayne here in, in Allen County would mm-hmm. be very interested if we were to find one here. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so those kinds of studies on these animals, and all kinds of animals are being done constantly, um, educational-wise, all, you know, Here at Fox Island, we allow research to be done. um, They just have to file their certain permits, you know, to allow Mm -hmm. them to, like, misknit bats or whatever they're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But we definitely allow and encourage, um, you know, environmental studies. So, I think the more we know, you know, the more we learn, the more Mm -hmm. we know, the more we understand. And how to treat it and how we're affecting things, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this this site. I mean, just considering that the the timeline that you described, it looks great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's got a lot of of natives popping up through Oh,
1: yeah, through got there. So much variety. Just mm-hmm. standing right here. I mean, I'm sitting here looking. I'm like, Minarda. Of course, you've got the ryegrasses that you know you kind of yeah. want to lay down, so they fill so Mm -hmm. the other things don't come in. (laughs) Um, But you know I'm looking over there we've got the um, big blue stems and the prairie Mm -hmm. docks are over there but you know the stems have fallen Mm -hmm. down now. Uh, You might find their remnant you know basal leaves and things like that. Uh, Definitely the ironweed is here and you know um, I really saw there's a a thistle and I'm not sure the exact name species of it because I have to look it up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's a native and the um, pollinators love it oh cool uh they're all over it and um of course they like the bee bombs and other you know other mm-hmm. pollinating plants but I've really noticed them on those mm-hmm. so I've got to figure out what that plant is now <laughs> <laughs> so just because I've been out here doing this for a long time and many many years doesn't mean rem- you know it doesn't mean I know every single thing that's out here you yeah. know so, but I know how to find out so <laughs>
2: yeah
1: no, I mean it's there's always more to learn and yeah uh, Yeah, Yeah. and that's the great thing about this job, you know, there's so much potential all the time and you can do this program or that program, you can change it every year or you can keep the same and add to it or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's just so much to do out here. Yeah, so, Mm -hmm. awesome.
0: Just, just kind of one wrap-up question with, with everything, um, just in everything that, uh, you have learned in your time and, uh, in your journey in this field and, um like what what do you think is like one of the most Im-, I'm sure there are more than one but one of the most important lessons that you have that you okay. would like to share with um anyone else out there
1: well i i was not an educator by field i was not trained to educate and so i would really delve into all the details and the intricate you know, knowledge about a certain animal they want wanted to teach the public about. And what I learned is that it's not necessary. Um, unless you're teaching, like, some sort of field study class with college students. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, they need to know every detail. Uh-huh. People really just want to um, relax. They want to connect. And they, they want you to kind of just guide them through it a little bit. Um, and I've learned that it's more important to see them enjoying themselves than just learning the details that I'm, s- that I'm saying to them. So you kind of learn to read their audience and their body language. And, and um, you know, as a teacher for now, for Allen County Parks since 2006, at first I was pretty intense about the details. And Ron Dartman was like, just, you know, you're not having fun, you know. And people would pick up on that, Mm -hmm. like they don't pick up, you know, I'd be be enthusiastic, but they could tell that I was just more concerned about getting them all of the information Mm -hmm. and not so concerned with how they were receiving the the information and and what, you know, what it was doing. Was it doing anything to change their perspective? You know, um, those kinds of things. You kind of have to learn as you get more mature in the field, I think. But yeah, I always used to tell Ron, you taught me how to just have fun with education and how to make it fun for people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can be pretty uh, logical thinking Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not realize that I'm being kind of robotic or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, or talking too much about a certain detail, you know, where people are kind of like on overload. Mm -hmm. And I still do it, but um, I try to catch myself and work on, you know, Really, if you do too much of that, you're actually causing a negative experience for people, mm. and so they're not going to have a good memory <laughs> of that connection. It's going to be a bad memory, um, and it's the same thing like with weather. I used to drag people out in all kinds of weather. I'm like, because you know, it didn't bother me. I dressed for it. I had all the clothes. I knew mm-hmm. how to, you know, and it, and I didn't get to a test. But now I realize you have to take into that that into account because if they're sitting there freezing or mm-hmm. if the sun's in their eyes and it's it's a hundred degrees and they're sweltering or um you know whatever, like that really affects whether they're listening to anything mm-hmm. or, you know, connecting at all, you know. And so like with thunderstorms and things like that, you can actually create some very negative experiences for people by insisting mm. on pushing whatever your agenda is for that day. Um so flexibility is another big one. Yeah. <laughs> So those are be some some things I would share with anybody who's new to the field.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Financially, I would tell people you don't get into this job for finances.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You get into the job for um, getting people to connect. Um, I got into it because it gave me peace growing up through various episodes in my life. I got peace from nature Mm -hmm. and I wanted other people to have that opportunity. So, and I, you know, I wasn't intentional. My parents weren't like huge outdoor people. Mm -hmm. We just grew up in the seventies. We didn't have any money. So we'd go camping for your Mm -hmm. family vacation. And I was, you know, I was probably middle school or older before we actually started doing that, you Mm -hmm. know? So I just was outside all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was the tree climber. I was the one that would go up too high in the tree. I actually fell out of a couple trees pretty high up and just lucky to be here really. Uh But, you know, I mean, everybody my age did that then. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you knew everybody in your neighborhood. Um, I didn't know a stranger anyway, but you knew everybody in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Your parents knew everybody in the neighborhood. And you knew which ones to tell your kids to avoid. (laughs) 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 But now I don't think people know their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I've noticed with COVID is they're starting to to learn to get to know their neighbors Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I always have a garage sale at my house every year, and it's not necessarily to make good fu- good money mm-hmm. um, because we've only lived in this house for six years. Um, the, we lived in an old farmhouse before that. There's no use trying to get to know your neighbors at a farmhouse you're out mm-hmm. in all of nowhere. But in town, that was new to me. I had not lived in a neighborhood since I was a kid, and I have to know my neighbors. I have to know. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to know me. And so I would have a garage sale, and people are more comfortable coming in and talking to you about your life, and what's going on, and getting to know you, and telling them about your their lives. If they see you out and about in the front yard, and you're friendly, and you know, they can come to your garage sale, and you know,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: whatever. Um, So it's more of a, creating a social thing for the neighborhood, and it is a very effective way to meet your neighbors. Uh, I know a lot of people do cookouts, and you know, things like that, but... People are not only losing connection to nature, they're losing connection to each other.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it's very important for us to remember how that affects us all. Yeah. Um, and so, that's, you know, these are all these things I've learned, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I love talking to people. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise, why would you be in an educational field? you If you don't love people, you're just not going to be a happy person. Mm -hmm. So, I would say first, learn how to love people if you don't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I do. I like, and I'm pretty tolerant. I think it's from moving around When I was a kid, I think we counted it up, we moved around 14 times as a kid. My dad was not military. uh, My mom and dad came from families where they kind of needed to get away from their families. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they did that together, you know, and they loved seeing the country. I mean, I was born in Wyoming, um, and I I lived and grew up all all up and down the Rocky Mountains in Montana, Colorado, you know. And their families were in Indiana, Ohio, so we, I knew Indiana and Ohio pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty well. So we, you know, live here for a time or, you know, visit. And uh, Wisconsin I didn't get to know until after I got married, but um, they really uh, had a history in their family, too, of taking trips out west. Mm -hmm. And so I have pictures of my grandparents visiting like Mount Rushmore when it's still being carved. Wow. (laughs) and then two years later seeing them go back at Mount Marshmore and it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so they, they constantly were going out to South Dakota and um, the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, I have an uncle that, that lived in Alaska, so I got to go see him when I graduated high school. You know, so a lot of, a lot of people that love to see, you know, the beautiful things in this country. But they weren't like environmentalists, I mm-hmm. would say. Um, they valued it. Uh, my uncle in Alaska valued it because he loved fishing. Um, and, he wa- and he would see what, how we were affecting the waterways, you know. Um, he was there when they had the, the oil spill yeah. in the next bay over from where he lived. Mm-hmm. And he was there helping with the oil spill. But that wasn't, you know, why he did it. He did because he loved fishing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I mean. You have to connect people to nature, but there has to be something for them there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for me, it's just, you know, the peace of coming out mm-hmm. here. And I'm so interested in every little detail. Mm-hmm. For other people, you know, maybe something
2: else.
1: Mm-hmm. So it might be fishing, might be running, might be, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey. That's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, so, well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on this very, very cold January day <laughs> to walk around <laughs> and talk about you and, and Fox Island. I really appreciate your time. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Huge thank you to Natalie for meeting with me on a very chilly day to discuss her work at Fox Island. Fox Island is a really cool park to visit year-round. For more information, I've included a link to their website at midwestduration.com on the page for this episode. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more Midwest Duration.